Most people underestimate the power of process. They stick it in the back seat and forget about it until it's too late. But they shouldn't. Processes run the world, literally all of it. Stocked supermarkets, on-time trains, and safely landing planes are all made possible by systems of intricate interlinked processes. They are the secret sauce of every great company, and HR teams are responsible for some of the most important processes of all. Onboarding employees, building teams, crafting culture, these vital systems are the lifeblood of every organization. That's why this episode is brought to you by Process Street, the process platform of choice for HR teams around the world. Process Street is a no-code platform that lets you transform your most important HR processes into powerful workflows. Design beautiful employee onboarding experiences with extreme engagement that increase inclusion and reduce turnover. Sync tasks into Slack or Microsoft Teams, automate emails, handoffs, and so much more. Thousands of teams, large and small, trust Process Street to manage their most important people processes. Like Salesforce that used Process Street to onboard all the 3,000 Slack employees after the $27 billion acquisition. You can learn more and sign up for a free account at www.process.st. Welcome to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast the podcast all about the delicate balance between people and business, and quite literally, reconnecting the two. My name is Tracy Rubin, and I've spent nearly my entire professional career in HR. Join me as I share stories, opinions, and words of advice with you each week. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast. Thank you for being here for another week. Make sure that you are rating, reviewing, and subscribing wherever you're catching this episode. If you're watching this episode on Spotify or YouTube, make sure you give a rating and a thumbs up if you are on YouTube. I have a really exciting guest for us this week, and I'm excited that we can kind of close out this conversation, hopefully close out the conversation about quiet quitting and move into where we go from there. And and all of the topics that we need uh, to understand when it comes to growing our careers or if you are just starting out in HR, how we can kind of like break into it and the things that we need to keep in mind. So we have a great uh, conversation happening on this episode. So the guest that I have on this week is Mark Hirschberg. He is the author of the Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You, educated at MIT, Mark has spent his career launching and fixing new ventures at startups, Fortune 500s, and academia. He's developed new software languages, online marketplaces, new authentication systems, and tracked criminals and terrorists on the dark web. Can you, I mean, these are things I'll never be able to say about myself, but that's super cool. Mark helped create the Undergraduate Practice Opportunities Program, MIT's Career Success Accelerator, where he's taught for 20 years. Mark also serves on the boards of nonprofits Techie Youth and Plant a Million Corals. There are so many things that we're going to talk about in this episode, and I'm super excited to welcome Mark to the episode. And so without further ado, here is Mark. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me on the show today. Of course, we are glad to have you. And I know we have a lot to cover in this episode, but I would love for you to kind of give a spin, your own personal spin on your bio, which I obviously just read. But who are you? Where are you from? And where are you uh, talking to us from today? Sure. I come from New York City, live right in Midtown. My background, what's kind of between the lines on all that, I have this really interesting dual career. 
because I came out of MIT in the 90s. And I started as a software engineer and I knew I wanted to become a CTO, a chief technology officer. What I quickly realized was that to get that job, it wasn't just about being the best engineer. Yes, I had to have good engineering skills, but there were all these other skills I'd need. Leadership, negotiating, networking, team building. No one ever taught them to me. So I set out to develop these skills in myself. As I was doing so, I realized these skills are not just for executives or not just for the leaders, they're for everyone. And I began to upskill my team. So now I went on in my career, as you read, I've been doing tech startups, I've helped Fortune 500s play startups, and I've gone done what you would expect a CTO or now CTPO, Chief Technology Product Officer to do. But a funny thing happened on the way to my career, MIT had discovered these are the same things many of our companies who hire our students are asking for, and we weren't teaching it. And when I heard about that, and that they were putting together a program, I said, well, I've got some content I've developed, I'm happy to share it with you. I thought that would be it, one and done, here, take what I have, best of luck. But instead, they asked me to develop more content and then to stay on and co-teach alongside some of the professors. And so for the past 20 plus years, in addition to building these tech startups, I've also been teaching at MIT, and then that, of course, turned into the speaking, the book, the app, and the other things I do related to the career toolkit. I remember when we first connected, one of the thoughts that really struck me was this idea of a dream job, and that we all have this concept of a dream job, but do we ever really know how to get to that place, to earn that dream job or work in that dream job. And what even is a dream job, right? Because like in college, you, you think about, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And it changes a million times. So how do we attain our dream jobs? Most people, unfortunately, their dream job is just that. Well, here's where I hope to be. I hope to make vice president in mm. 10 years. Cross my fingers. <laughs> and that's it. That's your entire plan. But we know we can do better. In fact, think about what you do at work. Imagine if the head of your department came to you and said, here is a really big initiative. I'm putting you in charge and you're going to spend the next year revamping our recruiting or revamping our benefits. Do you just say, OK, well, I'm going to lock myself in my office for a year and I'll come out in 365 days and hopefully I'll deliver what you were asking for and hopefully I get it right. That would be crazy. What do we do? We say, OK, let's create a project plan. Now, we know a couple things about this plan. First, we know we don't know exactly what we're going to do on day 273. Right? That's, I don't know, vague. But mm -hmm. I'm going to have a placeholder. I know what I'm doing the next 30 days. That's pretty clear. I'm going to have some placeholder. Next 30 days might be talk to the stakeholders and then determine the goals of this project. And then after that, I'll start to get people on the team and assign different people different projects. And I know somewhere days later, 200 plus, okay, we'll be doing the implementation phase. I don't know the details, I got a placeholder. The other thing we know is that whatever plan I create on day one is not going to hold for the rest of the project. It will change. So these two things we want to keep in mind because this is true for our career. And if you think about it, if you wouldn't do a year-long project at work without having some type of project plan, without it, odds of success are near zero. How can you possibly succeed in a 10-year, 20-year plan, mm. known as your career, without having a project plan? 
But just like our plan at work, we know it's going to be vague further out. I don't know what I'm doing eight years from now. I have no idea. I'll fill in that gap with more details later. But I might know if I want to be a VP in 10 years, I should probably be a director by seven or eight. Mm -hmm. So I have some placeholders. I also know whatever plan I create today, that will change and adjust, and that's okay. And so those two things that trip people up, they say, well, how can I know what I'm doing later? Or anything I create, it's not going to work out. But we know that's totally acceptable. And once mm -hmm. we make that shift, it's a lot easier to think about our future and have a plan. Because without a plan, the chances of succeeding are near zero. I love this concept. It's very action oriented. I was just on the phone with my sister this morning and we were talking about how she needs to do a better job of not waiting until her gas tank is on empty <laughs> to get gas, right? It's super, you know, human situation. And hopefully she, if she listens to this, she's not mad that I'm bringing it up, but she always gets to E. And there has been a time where she's not had enough gas to actually start the car. And we're like, what are you doing? You gotta, you've gotta change, right? You have to, like, when you get to a quarter of a tank, you gotta start getting gas. And I said to her, you know, what, what, why are you putting yourself in this situation? Like, you gotta just get gas. And I know that this is a really, like, small example compared to your career, but I bring it up because she was like, well, I'll try. Yeah, I'll try to do better. And I'm like, trying is not doing. Trying is passive, doing is active. And she was like, you're right, I like that. And not exactly what I was hoping to get out of telling you that I was on E. And I'm like, but somebody has to tell you, you gotta be active in solutioning these challenges. And I bring this up be because of that. Like, And this is kind of echoing, I hope, what you just shared that in order to actually achieve the goals that we have, we have to understand how we're going to get to achieving that goal. So when you think about someone who maybe is in this boat today where they haven't really attributed any goals or, or, or sorry, not even goals, but ways to achieve those goals, a project plan, as you mentioned, what is their first step? Is the first step actually figuring out what it's going to take to get to that goal? Or is it understanding what they actually want? Like, how do they start? First is defining your goal. And there are a series of questions. I have them in chapter one of my book, but they're also available for free on the resources page of my website. I give away a lot of things for free. Yes, and these are questions like, what do you want to do? We get a little more specific. How many hours a week do you want to work? How much travel do you want? And you want to think about these not just today, but in the future. Because at 24, you might think, oh, it'd be great to have a job where I'm on the road the whole time. I want to do campus recruiting. Mm -hmm. It's great. I'm traveling, especially I'm 24. I'm still kind of hanging around with the colleges. I'll see some of my friends. That's a lot of fun. But when you're 44, the idea of being on the road three or four days a week, <laughs> now you have a family, right. is not so appealing. So we have to recognize our answers may change over time. How much mm -hmm. impact do you want to have on the world? And that might mean I just need time away from the office to do what's important to me. Or maybe I want to be at a company that is impactful. So we want to think about these questions. And they're not just about our job. They're about our lifestyle. Because we want to have a career that fits into our life instead of trying to fit our life around our career. Mm. You start with those questions. Now, here's something very simple and actionable that you can do today. I'm going to ask you to pause the podcast for a moment. You're going to come back. 
You're going to pause the podcast. You are going to create a recurring calendar event on your phone that says, think about my career. And you're going to set that to recur every six months. That's it. 30 minutes, one hour, every six months. And now that you've done that, what you've done is you've committed to not just floating along and hoping you wind up where you want to be, but actually saying, I'm having this checkpoint. And every six months, now you say, well, it's time for me to think about these questions or look over the plan I created or revise the plan or talk to people about it, whatever specific things you do. And there's a number of them you can take. But now you have this recurring checkpoint. So create that recurring calendar event. It's going to take you two seconds right now. I'm asking for 30 minutes twice a year to think about your career, but now you're already ahead of most people because you are proactively managing your career. I love that. It makes me think about what I shared with you before we started recording, which was that I had this episode come out about quiet quitting. And in this episode, I talk about how the the media is getting it wrong, that there's nothing inherently wrong with quiet quitting, and that at the end of the day, people are setting boundaries. That's really what that is being coined as quiet quitting. That's all it is, is setting boundaries. So when I think about your call to action for people to go and think about their career, and they probably are, maybe even some of them are saying, oh, I think about my career constantly. But you're saying, really think about it. What is going to get you to that next stage um, or your final stage, whatever that might be? What do you say to someone who maybe is in this quiet quitting category where maybe they're taking a step back and they're setting some boundaries, but they still want to scale their careers. They still want to grow. And of course, especially in the United States, there's this, I think, I want to say misconception, but it's really a pressure to work and work and work and work and work until you get there. And this is kind of, I bring up the quiet quitting episode because obviously people are setting boundaries because of that pressure um, and, and other things, of course. But what do you say to someone who is trying to do that and, and be ahead of something, ahead of HR or whatever, but also wanting to work in a way that's balanced. I just want to be clear, our definition of quiet quitting, because I've seen different mm -hmm. one, is simply saying the boundaries, you will be focused at your job during a certain period of time and just not giving yourself 24-7 around the clock. Yeah, yeah. And also seeing that going above and beyond doesn't have to be an everyday thing and that that doesn't necessarily equate to hyper success. That, of course, there's a there's a time and a place for going above and beyond, but that it's not the only way to achieve success. So here's the thing about getting to the top of your field. There are fewer jobs up there, so the mm. competition is steeper. When I was a young kid, I think I was about four, my brother was three, my mother took us to Tumbling for Tots. And the instructor thought my brother had potential and said, I want to train him for the Olympics. He's three years old. Wow. My mother said no. Because for him to train for the Olympics means starting at age three, he would be committing to many hours, 20 plus hours per week for next two decades to be there, to push himself, to have friends secondary, family secondary, everything secondary to focus. And yeah, he could have just done maybe only 10 hours a week, but there's someone else out there who was doing it for 20 hours a week, and that guy was going to make the team and not my brother. Interesting. 
when you get to these small rarefied positions, there is a lot of competition and there is probably someone willing to sacrifice more than you. And you have to recognize that. Now, it may be that you are more efficient than others. There are people who in 40 hours a week produce a lot more than someone else in 60. And it has to do with how efficient they are. Are they getting distracted by every new email that comes in or are they more focused? Are they just faster at responding to an email or thinking through a problem or coming up with a solution? And so you might be one of these faster people and you can do it in 40 hours as long as you're really focused. But it really depends, it's relative. You versus the other people, what is your level of output, your level of achievement? And if you can do that in 40 hours, fantastic. But if someone's putting in 50 or they're doing 40 and just doing more than you, you will be outpaced. And of course, remember being head of HR, head of HR at Apple is different than head of HR at your regional manufacturing company. So it depends where you want to be head of HR, but I can tell you Apple head of HR, very competitive job. Yeah, this is interesting. You are um, bringing in a a different a thought process, I guess, is the phrase I'm thinking of, which is a great thing. It's it's one of the fundamental reasons why I like having guests on the podcast because it, you know it's important to challenge the way that we think of things. I think my uh, I guess the way that I would play devil's advocate is whether or not companies are going to remain successful and be able to sustain this type of level of expectation and pressure when people are challenging that, right? So like, of course, I agree with you. The competition is steep and there will always be someone who's putting in more hours or doing better work or doing worse work or whatever it is, right? And and as someone who works really efficiently, I love that you said that because I definitely don't necessarily need the same amount of time as someone else to do certain things, but others need twice as much time. Anyway, my my point here is, are companies in 10 years from now going to be as successful as they've been by applying this pressure? For example, Apple's a good one. Let's take Starbucks where, you know, they've they experienced rapid growth over the last few decades that they've been in operation with this standard of producing, you know, an end result which is like your coffee or whatever at rapid speeds, a fast format cafe with exceptional experiences. But we're seeing now that, especially at the hourly level, people are pushing back on this. And while I'm sure, and managers too, and we're seeing this obviously in labor relations and and different union movements, but I guess my question for you is like, is there an opportunity for businesses to change their approach? Or is this just the nature of being in a competitive capitalist society where the business that does the most does the best? The answer is it depends (laughs) because it's really the nature of your business, the scale you're at, the competitiveness of it. When you look at companies scaling, whether it's their process or customer acquisition or even their hiring, trying to do so when you're going from 20 to 40 people is a lot easier than when you're going from 20,000 to 40,000. Mm-hmm. I've been in lots of tech startups and back in the 90s, we did have those long nights and we put in the hard hours, but totally. we were young as a dot-com era and that worked. And even today, if I said, I need to get 20 more people and tell them, look, this is gonna be a 60 hour work week. 
okay, I'm going to lose some folks, but I could find 20 people who, through the promise of stock options, through the promise of the vision of our company, would say yes. I don't think I could find 20,000 people to do that. So mm. it depends on where your company is and what you're trying to do. Even when we look at large companies, Amazon has received a lot of criticism. There are the articles about the culture and yes. the intensity, but Amazon also hands out very big salaries, whether it's direct salary and cash or it's the stock compensation that appeals to people. And there are still people lining up to go and take that job and they're willing to go through that for the compensation. So if you can compensate like that, great. If not, you're in a different boat. Hey everyone, I wanted to take a quick break to tell you about the Employee Onboarding Podcast by Process Street. If you care about crafting a magical experience for new employees and you love podcasts, you won't want to miss this. Join the Process Street team as they have conversations with people leaders and technology creators exploring the world's most magical onboarding experiences. You will learn cutting edge best practices, industry secrets, and technology to wow every new employee that walks through your door. I recommend the episode where Process Street CEO Vinay Patankar sat down with Zapier CEO Wade Foster to talk about how they've scaled employee onboarding in a $5 billion remote first organization. And the conversation with Ben Eubanks discussing how to leverage AI and automation to improve the new employee experience will blow your mind. You can find the Employee Onboarding Podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Go ahead and check it out. And don't forget, if you're interested in supercharging your employee onboarding or other HR processes, go ahead and give Process Street a try. You can sign up for a free account at www.process.st or check out their YouTube channel for a bunch of webinars and demos. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, as you were sharing that, I was um, looking up your interview your resources in on your website which again them being free i think it's an amazing thing and and i'm sure all the listeners when they go into the show notes and they click those links to access your free resources are going to find a lot of value out of them but i bring this up because one of the um, resources that you have here are interview questions and um i know we've talked about how interview questions are really important and interviewing is really important for people at any level, regardless of whether they're a hiring manager or not, because it exposes you to the experience, but also it gets you to understand compatibility. And I want to kind of move into this topic because of what you said about even Amazon and, and all of that and all of these businesses that we're talking about, because for some people that might be perfect for them. Those environments might be exactly what they're looking for, but there's a way that you have to figure and, and there for other people, it might not be perfect at all. It might be like hell for them. So how do, or what questions do people ask to figure out the compatibility, whether it's with a person or with the company at large? Great question. Let me just back up a little bit before I address it which is one of my biggest pet peeves is we don't teach people how to interview. We teach people how to be a candidate, mm -hmm. but not how to interview others. And chapter three of my book is really focused on how to think about interviewing as a hiring manager. If you think about, imagine if you said to your 16 year old kid, Hey, you've seen me drive before, right? You've been in the car, you get gas steering wheel. Okay, great. You're 16. Now here you go. Here are the car keys. Try not to hit anyone. We would never do that. And yet, 
we saw welcome to the company. Oh, you've been interviewed before, right? Yeah, I remember I was in one where you were the candidate. Okay, you know what to do. Ask some questions, take some notes. Best of luck to you. Try not to hit anyone. <laughs> that's what we do. And yeah. that's insanity. Yeah. Investing just a few hours can make your interviewing so much more effective. Okay, now to the question you asked. Certainly we want to assess their technical capability. We want to assess their personal attributes and there are ways to do all that. But what is often missing is that cultural fit, is figuring out, do you fit into the company? And this is the type of thing people are hesitant to bring up. So it's important for both sides, for both the company and the candidate that we figure out, is this a match? Consider, for example, there are organizations that promote, I'm going to call it open conflict, not conflict between you and I as people who dislike each other, but hey, I disagree with your idea and here's why. And the meeting, I'm going to stand up, I'm going to challenge you, I'm going to criticize it, you're going to criticize mine, and this is how we come to a result. And that's encouraged. There are other companies where no, 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 you do not do that. If I disagree with what you're saying, I will outside the meeting, in a one-on-one -on -one meeting or in an email, you and I will talk, we'll discuss it. And the meeting itself is almost a fait accompli. It is, we show up, everyone's signed off on, and then we go and maybe we vote or whatever, and we move forward. Both styles are perfectly acceptable, but they are very different. And you can imagine that someone who has one style going to the other style office would be a disaster. Mm -hmm. Would either be ruffling feathers if they're, hey, no, no, I disagree. <laughs> what, what do you mean? This is not what we do. <laughs> or someone who sits there and tries to have these outside meetings. And so, no, no, let's not talk about it now. Let's talk about in the meeting. And everyone's in this rough and tumble mood. And this new hire just doesn't jump into that. So we want to understand these types of behaviors and cultures. And these, when I say culture, these are not the seven values on your website. This isn't customer first or whatever you write up there. This is day-to-day -day how you operate. And it's important that you go through and discuss these and make sure we're a fit. So I have a series of questions that go through some of these different topics like management style and culture. But then also I have a corresponding article, how to bring this up. And here's mm. the simple version. You can say, hey, there's this guy, Mark Hirschberg, and he <laughs> said we should discuss this. Yeah. So if you're a candidate, if you're a hiring manager, instead of thinking this is awkward, you can go, hey, Mark Hirschberg said we should do this. Blame me because this way you're not the jerk. Like, what kind of idiot came up with these questions? <laughs> Fine, I'll be the idiot if they say I don't want to talk about it. You don't look like the jerk. I love it. Everyone, you heard that. Blame Mark. I love that. Well, actually, you know, it, I think it makes perfectly good sense when you, when you really boil everything down. It is like, it's kind of like dating. I've talked about this for sure before on my podcast that when you're in, when you are connecting with someone for a job or you're hiring and you're interviewing someone for a job you're filling, you, it is a compatibility test. And I think I probably even talked about this in an episode that I did about why I left a job within three months. And it was because I totally missed all of those like, you know, red flags in the, in the first date, so to speak. And, and, you know, the, the subsequent dates, AKA all of the other interviews that I went through. And I actively, you know, almost like made excuses for some of those things. But when you think about it, we're talking about like coming back to one of the first things that we talked about this episode, you have to have a plan 
in order to achieve your goals. And part of that plan is really committing to the, you know, the, the actions that you're taking, the companies that you're joining, the roles that you're doing. And of course there, you know, like any road trip, there's always going to be a speed bump or, you know, all of, I love all of these uh, idioms here, but a speed bump in the road or a turn that you accidentally take. But the reality is, is that you have to, this is your career. And so you have to own that conversation. Actually, probably some of the best interviews that I've had are with candidates who are like, so what are you going to, what are you going to give me? Like, this is what I need. How are you going to make that happen? And I think it's a great way to kind of take the bull by the horns, so to speak. I grew up as a competitive chess player. Oh, and in that's chess, cool. you always learn to think multiple moves ahead. Yeah. Most people, unfortunately, they just say, well, I'm leaving my current job. Either I don't like it anymore or I know we're about to have layoffs or for whatever reason, I need a new job. And all they think about new job, is it something I can do? Do you pay me enough? Is it a close enough commute? Good mm -hmm. enough. But this is where you want to have your career plan and think two or three moves ahead. If I want to be the VP of HR, then before I get there, I need to be a director. But it's not just, well, I have need, need that title. To be a VP of HR, maybe I need to have run an organization of a thousand people. That's the type I want. But here I am at an organization of a hundred people. No one's going to take me from a hundred to a thousand, but they might take someone for a thousand person organization. If you've been in a 700 person organization, okay, that's big enough, but maybe one to 700 is not enough. So for a 100 person org, I need to find something that's going to be a 200, 300 person org whether that's what I find for a next job or I find some growing company and I know the numbers will increase over time, or maybe I'll have set up a campus recruiting program. That's not something the organization does, but it's what they want. This is something that's missing in my own experience because I know for a larger organization, campus recruiting matters and I have no campus recruiting experience. So I need to get that. So I'm looking at what this job gives me, not just the benefits, how I will grow, what will be the achievements on my resume? So when I go to the next job or the job after that, I'll have checked the boxes to qualify for that job in the future. It's great advice. And I actually have had an opportunity to speak with a career coach recently. And one of the things that he imparted on me was that, you know, if you're always so focused on that end result and not the process in getting there, what happens once you get there? You know, like, is it then just what's next? And no one's framed it for that uh, in that way for me before. And so it made me reflect when you were saying that, you know, it's not necessarily about the title. It's about all of the experiences that you get within that title. And I'm sure, and I know I've, I've gotten a ton of outreach from listeners on this that, you know, they sign up for these new roles. They leave their current company, they go to something new, and it's not exactly the challenge that they thought it would be or that the title is bigger, but the role isn't bigger. The scope's not bigger. And this has happened to me before too. What do you, what do you, what would you say to someone in that situation that maybe took all of your advice, asked the right questions, blamed you in the conversation to bring up those uh, areas of compatibility? What does someone do if they're, they do hit that speed bump in their career journey um, and, and want to kind of move on from that? First is to understand how did this happen? 
I have been at companies where the CEO actively lied about the circumstance. Mm -hmm. Oh, everything's going great. We're about to close funding. Things are growing. Yeah, no, that's not what's really going on. In that case, there's a very big concern because you have an unethical CEO or hiring manager or there's a problem. Right. If it's a true disaster, run, yeah. leave. That's what I hopefully, did in my, yeah. Yeah, hopefully you've been at other jobs for a couple of years where if you have a three-month stint, you either leave it off or you just say, look, it was not how they sold it to me. Yeah. I think people will understand that, especially today as we're learning more about people really focusing on what's important. Yeah. If, however, it came out of a miscommunication and I came up with these questions. These come from things I've learned over time, from my own experiences, from other people, but still we're never perfect. I mm -hmm. think I asked that question and you gave me an answer and you gave me a legitimate valid answer, but I misinterpreted it. You misinterpreted it. Okay. No one's being malicious. No one's being unethical, but this is a situation we're in. Can I alter that to make it into the job I want? And this is what's important. Don't just stick to, well, the job says I do X. Now, I tend to do a lot of startups. And what I love about startups is we're always under-resourced. Mm -hmm. Now, the reality is most bigger companies today are under-resourced. No one is going to complain, with one exception, if you do more work. As long as you get your responsibilities done, if you say, I want to help out here, I want to start this, I want to do more, generally they will like that. And you can generate your own job. You mm -hmm. can make sure to take on the responsibilities. Years ago when I was hired for a CTO role, I said, look, I don't just want to be a CTO. I need to have more general business experience. I need a GM title as well. Is there a business unit that I can run in parallel? And we came up with one. Wow. Now, the one exception is if what you want to do is in someone else's pool, <laughs> they might say, why are you playing in my pool? Yeah. They might be territorial. You get into some office politics. That's the one exception you do need to be careful. But if no one else is dealing with this or thinks it belongs to them, you can often expand your experience and expand your responsibility into that area. That's really interesting. You know, and I... I often reflect when I have a guest on about my own experience, of course, it's only natural, just as I want the listeners to reflect on their experiences. And, you know, I, I think that there, this is a, we are in a time within industry, business, however we want to phrase it, where the labor challenges remain, businesses are understaffed um, and under-resourced. It's maybe even, yeah, to your point, it's not even necessarily the staffing. It's it's all around, all across the board resourcing. Um, but then the employees who are there, quiet quitting or not, if they are committed to the business's success, there is an opportunity to create kind of your own landscape, probably now more than ever, um, especially if you're someone that, you know, normally I would say goes above and beyond, but maybe the phrase instead is someone who's producing really high quality work and is a team player because that's at the end of the day what a business wants. You know, business leaders want people who are contributing, you know, as much value as possible to their organization. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you is about how we create value in our, in, in businesses and nonprofits, wherever we're working. What does, what does value translate into and how can someone who 
wants to produce more, how can they add that value in doing so? This is a huge shortcoming in so many workers at all levels. So many people say, I am part of this group and I am told to do this. What comes into mm. my inbox, I do it. I stick in my outbox and I'm done. Go around your company and ask people, describe our customers, not the names of who they are, but describe their business to me. Most people can't do it. They come up with four other customers who aren't current customers, but should be. Give me other people in the industry who would not be good customers of ours. Describe our suppliers, describe the vendors we work with. Again, not just names, but why they do this. Most people, they don't see more than about six feet ahead of themselves. Mm. I see the other coworkers I talk to on my team, maybe another team where we work closely with them, but that's about it. And they don't understand the larger value chain they are a part of, whether that's internal to the company. I do this work, it's used by this team and lets them provide value to yet another group. Or we create this product or service and here's how it creates value for our customer. Here's how it creates value for our customers' customers. Most people don't know this. They don't know their industry. They don't know their ecosystem. Once you learn that, you can then understand how to create more value. Because if you don't know the value you're creating today, it's a lot harder to create additional value tomorrow. Yeah. I, I, you know, honestly, I think that this is all really, really sound advice. And, um, you know, I, I think we're hearing or talking a lot about how at the individual level we can influence our experiences in a positive way, have more value, um, take away more from our experiences. How can, on the contrary, how can managers or even individual contributors who maybe have to think about their careers not only individually, but also globally because of the impact that they're having, whether it's on a team or that they manage or a team that they influence, how can they leverage your resources to add more value themselves or better manage and influence their teams? The very first download on the resources page is the Career Toolkit Development Program. This is a free program. There is no cost to the program. You can download it for free. I don't even gate your email. And this is how you can upskill your whole team. Often when we think about upskilling, we think, well, I'm going to pick three people who are my three rising stars. I'm going to send them off to a three-day boot camp. And it's going to cost me a lot of money. And hopefully that will pay off. But here's the problem. You're only helping three people. And you're giving them a one and done. If you were recruiting for a basketball team, would you say, okay, I'm going to recruit these people. I'm going to draft them. I'm going to send you to a three-day basketball clinic and then you're done. Okay. Now we're going to play the season. No practice, no training. You, you have those three days. You're good. Let's just go and do it. That's not how we train for sports or for music. And that's not how we train for these skills because you can't just send someone to a three-day leadership workshop and say, well, now you're a leader done. Mm -hmm. This requires ongoing maintenance. And so what you want to do is create peer learning groups. And I go through how to think about the sizing of the groups and how you think about what type of composition. But in these groups, you get people together and you engage with some content. Now, if you want, you can use my book. You don't have to use my book. You can use other books. You can use articles. You can use videos. You can use a great podcast like this one. 
the key idea is that when you get some content, let's say it's about leadership. So we read an article or a couple pages of a book. We come together to discuss it. What do you get out of that article? Well, here's what I thought. Oh, you know, I didn't even think of it the way you're putting it. Okay, that's helpful. Because unlike learning a formula in math or learning how to use the payroll system, it's not just do A, B, C, and you're done. There's no formula for leadership. There's no three things to memorize and you're suddenly a master communicator. These are subtle skills and getting those different perspectives are important. It also lets us practice. We know in sports, scrimmage is important. Now I can't say, hey everyone, I'm gonna try leading a little differently today. We're gonna try it for a day and at four o'clock I go, okay everyone, uh, do over, forget the day, forget everything I said, doesn't count. They're gonna remember. Mm -hmm. But I can say this peer group, hey, I'm gonna try leading my team. I'm thinking of trying this or I need to communicate something. Here's what I'm thinking. Does anyone have feedback? And someone can say, well, here's how I take it. Here's some feedback. That's how you scrimmage. Someone else might say, oh, I had a similar circumstance. Here's what I did. Here's what worked. Here's what didn't work. That's like a practice. Mm -hmm. And so these peer learning groups, by coming together at no cost, these are people in your team. You don't need an outside expert to run them. You can bring someone in for a kickoff if you feel like it, not necessary. When you do this, you get four incredible benefits. First, you upskill your team. Fantastic. Not just one or two people, everyone, you upskill them. Second, you are creating employee engagement. So important these days. You're saying you're not just worth the paycheck to us. We are investing in you. We are caring about you. We want to help you grow. And employees are looking for that. Mm -hmm. Third, you're increasing your internal networks. So important that we get to know our coworkers, not just the person sitting next to me, not just the woman in the group I have to report into and send an update to once a month. I'm meeting lots of different people. I'm building that internal network. And fourth, you are creating a common framework. If, for example, you choose the book, Good to Great. If you read that book, there's a chapter on the hedgehog and the fox and the hedgehog model and the fox model. And if everyone's read that book or that article or engaged in some way, you can say in a meeting, hey, let's really think about this the fox way, and then we'll focus on the hedgehog way. Everyone says, oh, I know exactly what you mean. You don't have to worry how mm -hmm. to describe it. You create that common language that fosters improved communications. So upskilling your team, better engagement, increased internal networking, and a common language. All this is completely free if you develop this program, the best part is if you download this, copyright is open. So cross out my name, put your name there, say to your CEO or head of HR, I have a brilliant idea. You can take all the credit. I am just here to help companies be more successful. I love that. And actually, I think this is the perfect way to segue us out of this incredible episode. I think I love that we thought differently about some of these topics and that you've provided us with really... Um, comprehensive advice for how we can 
jump into our, you know, the future of our careers. And if you haven't yet uh, made that recurring note to yourself, like Mark had said earlier, make sure you do that. I, I'm definitely going to. And, and I look forward to six months from now when I think about my career in a much more detailed way. So with that, Mark, I mean, of course, it goes without saying that all of these resources and links are going to be in the show notes. But why don't you tell the listeners where they can find you if they want to connect and learn more? You can go to my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. You can see where to buy the book, Amazon, other places. You can get in touch with me if you have questions, if you're interested in bringing me in to come speak. That's all on the contact page. I put out new articles every week, and we go more in-depth on some of these topics. You can follow along with that. There is a free companion app, completely free on the Apple and iPhone stores and linked from the website, because I know when you read a book, Say, okay, this is great advice, and then you quickly forget it. So the companion app is going to give you, it's like a daily affirmation at a time you set with a reminder about some of the things you're learning. You can focus it just on management tips or just on interviewing tips or pull out those networking tips right before you walk into a networking event. So right. they're top of mind. All that's free. And then the resources page that has a number of downloads, the development program we just mentioned, those interview questions as well as links to free online resources to help you learn more about yourself or go deeper on some of these topics. All of this is at thecareertoolkitbook.com. Amazing. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and for helping bring this episode to life. I think that a lot of the listeners will walk away feeling like ready to create that project plan for their careers and making sure that they're really like focused on what you know, how they're going to get from point A to point B and everything in between, whether it's for themselves or for their team. So thank you so much for today. Have me on.